0: And Evans Wentz, who's um, uh, the editor of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Oxford University Press, um, and his um, teacher, Lama um, Kawadawa Sandup, wrote this in their section on karma in that particular book. And of course the present tokus try to teach you not to read such things because they have a very exoteric account on karma. This is from the Bhada The exoteric interpretation, namely that the human stream of consciousness, that is to say the human life's flux, not only can, but very often does take re-embodiment in sub-human creatures immediately after having been in human form is accepted universally by Buddhists, both in the northern and southern schools, as by Hindus, who, referring to scriptures, invariably regarded as being incontrovertible. Over against the exoteric interpretation, which is the outside or the common beliefs, uh, without which without any doubt the bhada Tortol is, if read literally, conveys, the esoteric interpretation may be stated, on the authority of the various philosophers, both Hindu and Buddhists, from which the editors received instruction, as follows The human form, but not the divine nature man is a direct inheritance from the subhuman kingdoms, from the lowest forms of life it has evolved guided by an ever-glowing and ever-changing life-flux, potentially consciousness, which figuratively may be called the seed of the life-force, connected with or overshadowing each sentient creature, being in its essence psychical. As such, it is the evolving principle, the principle of continuity, the principle capable of acquiring knowledge and understanding of its own nature, the principle whose normal goal is enlightenment, and just as the physical seed of a vegetable or animal organism, even man's seed, is seen by the eyes to be capable of producing after its own kind only, so that which the eyes cannot see, if of a human being, it cannot incarnate into, or overshadow, or be intimately bound up with a body foreign to its evolved characteristics, either in this world or in Bada, which is life after death, or in any other realm or world of sanksaric existence. This is held to be a natural law governing the manifestation of life, as inviolable as the law of karma, which sets it into operation. For human life-flux to flow under the physical form of a dog, or fowl, or insect, or worm, is therefore held to be as impossible, as would be, let us say, transferring the waters of Lake Kil- Michigan into the depression occupied by the waters of Lake Canari. Kil- he later states, Human life is far richer in possibilities for the working out of evil karma no matter how animal-like the karma may be, than any subhuman species could possibly be, and this is um, uh, Evans-Wentz and um, the Lama talking to enlightened beings before Tibet was invaded. Right? This is the the way the enlightened beings look at it: impossibility. But the exoteric doctrines that you get from the East today, simply they all faded: the talkers and the rinpoches and the geshis and and the Hindu savants, uh, you know, often know smoking, they're all busy sort of teaching this doctrine, which is you know, from from the Dark Ages, from when when we are children, and you tell children simple things that they believe in, um, and you tell them not to touch this, not to do that, out of um, fear, and you t- teach them a doctrine of fear. Likewise, the human race, when they're not thinking very clearly, and they're not very intelligent. But humanity has evolved a little since since these thousands of years ago BC when these doctrines were given out. And we now have a bit more intelligence and we're able to sort of think and reason for ourselves that there's no way your consciousness, your emotions, um, your feelings, your sentiency um, could ever sort of be expressed in an ant crawling around on the floor. Um, and uh, just look at the karma from this. If, um, as an ant cra- crawling around the floor, then surely you will have karma of all the other ants, of which it is a group of. So, if you um, incarnate with into that ant kingdom, then you have all this karma, it's you're tied in with all those other ants. How long are you going to be incarnate again and again as ants? And also, if um, you have karma with those ants, what about your karmic affiliations of all the other people that you must have karmic affiliations. with? They all have to become my ants as well uh, because how can the karma be expressed because it was created by interrelationship with somebody else right um, you created this action or by 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 saying something foul to somebody else or by eating an ant or whatever um, And so you can see quite logically that the whole philosophy just has no roots there's no foundation. Yet millions and millions believe in this type of concept. Believe in good karma. And I pointed out before that it is purposely withheld from you, and sometimes many ask this question, why, if law of karma exists, do we not see our past lives? And I've just told you, it's quite simple. You saw your past lives, most of you would avoid all your bad karma. You would not do anything on the whole. You'd live in fear of, of, um, of being destroyed by a car accident or going to war the year after or, or, or suddenly sort of um, finding out that um, if you walk out of your room this, that, that day, um, you're going to come back and find nothing there. It's all gone. Most of you are so selfish and you're very possessive of your valuables or fire coming through it or even sickness and diseases. All these things, if you see beforehand, most of you do not have the courage to allow them to happen because it is your karma. An enlightened being, incidentally, must work out consciously their karma. And as you become more and more enlightened, you see karma quite clearly. And you know that that is your karma. And you will walk that way with your eyes open and willingly, no matter what it means. The karma is there to be cleansed. And you cannot become an enlightened being until you work out consciously the cleansing of your karma and you see the streams of karma far into the future. Either you're creating karma, or you're working it off. And we, who are on this path to light, we're always constantly working it off. We'll do everything that relates to cleansing our karma with this material world. We have relationships with other people, because there's still karma there, and we're trying to mould that karma in such a way it produces good results in the future. Loving results make that person more and more loving inherently, more and more wise inherently, more and more giving inherently. We learn to give, and we give all the time. And as we give all the time, of course we create our, for ourselves good karma. In the highest stages of enlightenment, good or bad karma seem the same. Neither good nor bad karma, what people call good karma, which is having lots of um, money thrown at your feet and for guys or girls, uh, lots of relations, you know, sort of that type of thing. Um, everything is just going for them wonderfully. You know, they don't have to worry about life. That what people mostly call good karma. For me, that is not um, neither good nor bad. Whether you have lots of money or whether you have no money, um, these are just opportunities for spiritual growth. Good karma for me is if you find a Buddha and you sit in front of the feet of that Buddha or that enlightened being, that great saviour. And you learn from them how to escape from the realms of karma altogether. So no longer have to be born into human forms. Because um, we are much greater than these human frames, and we are evolving into something far, far greater than this. We are gods in the making. And good karma is that which allows you to become gods. No longer um, bound by petty jealousies and petty emotions and desire for wealth and desire for sex and all these things. These things are left behind. Think about how much you are conditioned by these types of desires and think therefore how much you are bound by karma. And the way to release of karma is simply the Buddha's teachings of non-attachment to anything that is transient, anything that is ephemeral, anything that is changing. You can ride the gift wave of this non-attachment but you're also non-attached to your karma and you'll take whatever karma is just out for you wisely with your eyes fully awakened, with your eyes fully opened. And that is surely the same way to be. I have looked at many, many past lives of my own and many other people that come my way. And um, often I'm looking at the karma of an individual within a a national setting, within a time period where they are interrelated with other people. And when you see the sequence of such karma, you always see the evolutionary growth. You're always looking at the way they'll evolve, say, from ancient Atlantis through to Egypt and from Egypt through to maybe sort of a medieval Europe to Renaissance Europe through to uh, maybe Japan or something like that and onwards into different cultural situations, different religions into the now. One of the things that's bound with karma we call sanskaras in the Sanskrit terminology. Sanskaras are bundles of aggregates of karma. What it really means is that you've had many lives, many, many lives, developing a certain type of quality. For instance, uh, pride, strong pride, ego, strong sexuality, or whatever. And this quality, you've had life after life after life after life developing. And in any particular life, um, you have to actually start to cleanse those samskaras, cleanse those tendencies and for some people when they actually begin to work upon these samskaras it is very difficult indeed it's like a smoker um, trying to quit smoking the urge to smoke is just so strong that you on the whole most people cannot do it in one session they have to actually plan it like planning a battle or a chess game uh, because that urge uh, is there. Likewise, all of you are pushed into your conditionings, into your um, social and mental-emotional patternings of life, according to samskaras from past lives. And when you begin to look at those past lives, you'll find that at any particular part of any life, you're reliving the karma from a particular past life. That's why I often think I'm looking at those close to me and saying, oh, this is the karma that you're reliving now from such and such a life, and, um, when you begin to see, for instance, if you had, um, uh, say, say born in, uh, Victorian England and you're one of those, um, noble people there in Victorian England, um, strutting around with all those beautiful clothing and, and great, uh, power and, uh, below you all around you, all the poor and the miserably depressed in the streets, uh, busy, sort of starving on the ho- on the whole, uh, What I'm trying to get to is that those types of irresponsibilities that you may have developed also carry through in this particular life. If you live with a lover now, and in a former life um, that lover caused you a great amount of pain or suffering, um, then you may have spent five lives cleansing some of that, and you may just have a reciprocal amount of the karma to, to experience. And it's that particular life um, so, so in one life you may have spent a whole lifetime 40 or 50 years with that particular person as a wife or a husband or whatever um, doing certain types of karma and by the time it gets to this life that whole lifetime might have been shrunk to 4 or 5 weeks and in those 4 or 5 weeks you're cleansing out the residual of the karma and in which case that particular lifetime and all the people around you that's, that, that suddenly sort of flow into your life have got to do of that particular life. Um, so often when you meet new people in your life that you know, suddenly you fall in love with or whatever or they take you into a different sort of country, um, then all of a sudden these new people they bring into your context of your view and um, that comes from the life which you had to come with them Them, And so your life... Flashes, bringing the samskaras from different world periods, making your life in the now. In this modern epoch, we travel very fast. You think in medieval Europe, on the whole, um, people lived in villages and didn't travel more than 20 or 30 miles from where they were born, and they lived a very, very slow pace of life. Um, now, you can live 5 or 6 or 7 or 10 or 15 lifetimes in one life. You can have lovers in and out, you know, sort of coming and going, coming and going each week, each month, whatever, um, cleansing out, experiencing this or that stream of karma where before in a formal life, former you've taken nearly the whole life dealing with that one person or that one type of issue that person brings into your life. Often, therefore, when it comes to these sanghaskaras, if you begin to see the types of way that you think, are the things that you're attracted to. You can often see that um, uh, suddenly you have a change of clothing style, and you say, "Oh, this is medieval karma," because you're suddenly attracted to medieval type karma, or, or to say Celtic type designs. Uh, to these types of streams of um, influences in your life, you can look to, and say, if you have a sense of history, you can say, "Yes." This appears that I had such and such a life in such and such a period of time. If you have a strong sort of love for Japan, for instance, or to the East, then you will almost be certain to have had a life in Japan. For instance, if you spent years at one stage, say, studying the Japanese language and the culture, then almost certainly you've been born there. You've had a love for that country. Likewise, any other sort of um, nation that you, um, you admire in one way or the other. Karma, um, when you're actually looking for the causes of karma, we're really looking, or the way that the mechanism of the transmission of karma, we're really looking at what I call the diva kingdom, the angelic kingdom. A um, little bit later in this uh, series of lectures, I think it's about two from now, uh, I'm going to talk about divas, about the angelic kingdom. And it's to understand that karma ex- ex- uh, manifests the way it does. Because it is the divic substance, the angelic substance, that is all that you see around you. Your own forms are devik, the walls that you're sitting here, the floor that you're sitting here is made of devic substance, the, the trees out there, the grass, the sky, all is divic, all is angels and fairies and pixies and all these little nature spirits um, interweaving their, their bodies into forms, and the forms are, is all that we're, is around us. And these forms exist on all the realms. And it's because we affect and modify their forms through our emotions, through our thinking patterns, through our physical actions, that um, creates the karma. They give us back what we have given to them. They simply come back to their originating source. So if you make love um, to somebody else, you're actually putting your deedic substance into another person that karma, that divic substance is stored. And 20 lives later, it may come back, and may have to come back to its originating donor in exactly the same way it was given. This is a subject which I'll go more into when I go into the diva or the angelic kingdom. But uh, I just wanted to introduce this here to point out uh, the fact that karma is just not something that, that happens in the air. It's a universal law, and there are vectors of karma, the angels, of, uh, the agents of karma, and uh, we, in our terminology, have such terms as the Lepika Lords. Um, you know, sort of Lepica Lords are scribes, and they, the these are devic forces, great cherubim that, that make ritualistic gestures and create the geometry of the universe. And they build into the geometry of the universe. Karma become extremes of past and future. So later on, you'll discover as you become more awakened, more uh, enlightened, begin to see these 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 little people, um, these angelic beings, um, the way they work and paint karma into everything that there is, because it's their bodies of manifestation, their lives that we affect. They simply give back to us what we give out. That's a vast subject. I was going to mention also, again, back to this um, subject as to why we don't see our past lives. And it's not just because your chakras have been closed, but that's what it is. Um, in, in the earlier stages of human evolution, beings were all clairvoyant and they did see their past lives. They did see this karma. They talked to the gods and they they um, received, every time they did anything, they always did these Rituals asking for advice from the gods as to the karma and so forth. They were clairvoyant in those days. We've lost that clairvoyance for good reason. Because um, when the mind was was awakened in human beings, then with that came selfishness. Then with that came um, the will to destroy, the will to take from another. Understand most of you are inherently selfish you really only think of yourselves and in terms of yourselves and when you think only in terms of yourselves then how can we or the lords of life awaken your perception to see karma it's only when you are truly loving can you be shown your past lives can be shown your future Most of you, if you saw karma, would probably be busy out there trying to win Lotto, a million bucks for yourself because you could see the way that little ball bounces on the television screen long before it actually bounces. Because after all, that is interwoven with karma. And you make yourself very wealthy indeed. You could see the future because all past tendencies go into the future. As I said before, you would tend to avoid all of your bad karma because you don't particularly want to be in that road accident or you don't particularly want to have your possessions stolen. But you'll also try to avoid, um, or, or make for yourselves, or give for yourselves, the things that you desire most. Hmm? Uh, so, um, very few of you are responsible enough to, to look at your karma with dispassion. And when you begin to see some of the evil things most of you have done in past lives, murdering and maiming and, and um, stealing on a massive scale, uh, then when that karma descends upon you, you really don't want to know about it. Who? Me? I'm such a beautiful person. Very often I see, uh, when I actually look at karma, um, those people that, that are actually very, very um, loving and in intent, and by nature very loving. They are very loving because they've learnt the lessons in past lives of being very unloving and very hateful indeed. They've gone through their health states. They've paid back an enormous karma of all the evil that they've done. And now, by nature, they are loving because they've learnt the lesson. The law of karma have taught them, have punished them enough. And um, the whole substance of their whole bodies now um, reacts to the idea of of, uh, the type of evil that they would have done before. Sometimes these types of people become fanatics in these areas, become extreme in the other way. Um, And so, again, we have to learn the balance between all extremes.
1: Uh, I'm curious to know the connection between my past life, this life, and uh, my family.
0: We all have different types of karma. Um, Some of us are born in special um, religious groupings, and sometimes nationalistic groupings, but certainly very much religious groupings. Have sometimes very close ties, um, bound by strong religion. I want you all to understand that uh, you are uh, what you're born as. For instance, if you're born into a Muslim family, you're brought up as a Muslim, and it's a very sort of devout Muslim family. Then, then you'll wear the veil for women and so forth. And, Almost automatically, you're conditioned that way. We're born in Western societies with lots of liberal viewpoints about sexuality. Others are born in some very straight jacketed societies indeed, and very few can break free from that. And it's their karma to be born that way because they're born of groups who have evolved through different religions. They go, the whole group manifests in this religion and say so sort of Catholics in one life and then all of a sudden they they're busy being sort of American Indians in another life and then they sort of continue onwards and so forth. And sometimes the karma of a family is that type of karma where you are sort of co evolved. But on the whole, um, your family for most people uh, are beings that were your lovers from past lives in one way or the other if you have strong karma with them. And it's just simply a means whereby your love interrelationship is worked out in a different way than merely sex. After all, sex is just but one way of interrelating or learning how to love. And sex, of course, you find a partner and you try to give to them um, something that's of, of beauty to them or of joy to them, and they give back to you. And hopefully you learn how to love each other and produce children or whatever it is that is the purpose of your interrelationship. But um, very often you'll find that lovers um, have um, learned how to give to to each other sexually in one life. Then they have to learn how to give to each other non-sexually in another life, still being lovers, still sort of being very close to each other. Um, inherently, and therefore, you get this sibling sort of uh, a relationship that very often have. Sometimes um, you have enemies um, in a particular life; they have learned to hate each other. And one way of getting these enemies to actually learn to talk to each other, to actually solve their differences, is by bringing them into the same family. Mm. Um, so they uh, sort of um, can't escape that that family bond. Um, certainly not in, uh, not at first and sort of only when they're 20 or whatever they can run away from home but on the whole they can't escape that family bond and those, those former enemies actually have to learn to talk to each other, live in the same room sometimes and they have their little fights and squabbles and they may not like in- each other inherently, you know, the, the brothers or the sisters are, are fighting or clashing all the time because they're actually brought together through the laws of karma to solve their differences and that's the way that it's, it's to, to keep them long enough to be, to, have to give them a chance to do so, sometimes um, a member of your family is someone who um, you've done a great long, wrong to, you 've done a great harm to. you for instance, may have poisoned or killed them through some sort of jealousy or whatever in a former life, and you destroyed their purpose for that life, and this particular life you may have to atone for that. And therefore they are brought in as your mother or your father or whatever and you actually have to learn to respect them and to serve them and to help them one way or the other, to, to fix up that injustice you did to that person in a former life. Some um in some types of family situations there may not be that much strong karma at all. In which case the father may die when you're two, or your mother She's given birth to you. She's only existed to bring you into uh, physical uh, incarnation, and she's had to suffer a certain type of terrible karma associated with the birth process. So there's many different sort of reasons um, why families exist, um, and most of it is for the purpose of giving people long enough time together to cleanse certain types of karma, to learn how to give to each other, and to evolve the law of love on a higher cycle than just merely sexual love. Because after all, when you're having sexual relationships with with somebody, it's easy to love them. Um, It's much harder to love someone if um, there's no sex involved and uh, you're merely just friends. And of course, that's another thing when you see people that are very good friends. You know, they can be women or men sort of... um, Uh, they can be opposite sexes or whatever, just very very good friends they're lovers in fact from a former life and they've chosen in this life to be lovers in a different way um, to learn different um, different types of lessons on this art of giving to each other so that's on the whole um, the way it goes with families your physical plane family is generally nowhere near as strongly connected to you as your true spiritual family true spiritual family, those of you that mourn the path to light, um, are beings that have travelled with you from life to life, time immemorial, and you've always been doing the same work, whereas often your family are more incidentals. They've, they've come from one or other particular life um, where you've done, some, for instance, some great harm to somebody or to, to a group of people, and now you have to learn to give to them. And you may find that you're the one that's dominated or picked on in that life, um, being the, the youngest sibling or whatever, and there's a good reason for that because you did that in a formal life to somebody that was under your power right? you understand why your children um, you're, you are under the power of your parents of course many of you rebel against this in your own way but, um, but that is often because they were under your power, for instance you may have been a military commander in a battlefield and um, they were your uh, the ones underneath you and you had um, right over them life and death as to what they did it was your command they had to follow Um, so there's all different types of situations that can be cleansed and worked out in a family situation always in a new context Um, karma, karma, the laws of karma the law of karma I'll repeat is the law of love every person's karma is worked out in such a way as that person can learn from it whether the person learns from it or not is up to the individual concerned But the lords of karma always give the opportunity for that individual to learn from their interrelationship no matter what religion they're born. And we know some terrible things and some terrible religions. um, And we could go into these and sort of go more specific into individual karma, of nations or individual karmas or certain types of people in certain religions and and go to the, this type of incident that happens, say the bombing of a plane or something like that, and sort of trace that karma back to to um, where those people actually caused a lot of um, death to to somebody else. Um, it's most interesting when I look at this side of karma and I look at these litigation, these law cases, where somebody has done something to somebody else and somebody spends time in jail sometimes unjustly, um, for what's called a crime. When there's no real crime involved, people are just cleansing their karma. And um, then some you, some people get really angry of somebody else and they try to send them to jail. Um, people that want to do that, they have to understand that if they sort of plot and scheme to put um, pain upon another individual, um, even if they think that individual deserves it, they must share the karma and pay the karma of that pain. If they send somebody to jail, then they must go to jail sometime that's the law this is part of the basis of Jesus' teaching of turn the other cheek if somebody would hit you, turn the other cheek and, um, and uh, you know, allow that person to hit you on the other side as well um, simply it's best for you to cleanse your karma than for you to cleanse your karma if somebody does you an injustice don't plot and scheme and, and, uh, as to give them um, pain in some sort of way if you plot and scheme to give another person pain because they've given you pain in one way or other, then you are guilty of karma and you must pay for that. They simply probably have given you certain karma back from a former life that you've done to them and now it's over and done with, the, 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 the receipt book's done, They've paid. you've paid back your debt, bow to them, thank them for, for the opportunity for you cleansing some of this terrible karma of yours and go on in life. You plot and scheme to to give them hell in one way or the other send them to jail or to take money from them because most litigation nowadays is to ruin people financially. Well, fine, you can do that, but you must pay for it. And um, countries such as America where they have this terrible litigation stuff, uh, terrible, terrible karma people are giving to themselves uh, because of their, their hatred and their angers and all the rest of it. Don't plot and scheme. If something has happened to you that you don't like, think out how to say a good, kind word for that individual, try to help them in the path of light, um, bow down to them, walk away, um, leave it to the lords of karma. Because if somebody's taken something from me, fine. Uh, That means that um, I've paid back some karma from a past life, in which case I'm so happy for, or else um, somebody owns me a lot of karma, which which I'm so happy for. I'd like to have a life, each life, where um, people shower me with presents and things like that, because... uh, Um, that's what I've done to somebody in the form of life. So if you're selfish and all the rest of it, you're going to reap the rewards of selfishness. Your life's going to be hard in the future life, everything not going your way. Um, You're going to be poor and all the rest of it, and while there's somebody over there sort of having everything given to them. Um, Always do good. Don't sort of um, create evil, even if you think somebody's justified for it. Um, Help the person out. Avoid the evil if you can. Use your wisdom, use your common sense. You've been given it for a reason, and go on in life doing good works and terrible works for others.
1: Okay, uh, this is kind of um, like a question or a comment like regarding uh, reincarnation. Um, I've, I've heard about both of... Uh, well, well, about, about re- reincarnation and stuff and from this lecture as well. And um, so the point is that, okay, if someone is born um, is born into this world, um, like an infant physically i mean um according to christianity um the person is um, more or less like free of sin but um so they don't have to feel guilty of anything um before but um according to reincarnation uh, uh, each person born isn't like free of sin they have um, already they're already guilty when they're born of what was before like of their past lives, I guess that's. I, I, I'm just wondering if, I guess that's right, isn't it? Or,
0: well, the Christians totally um, do not understand their um, their Bible. They don't read it properly. They don't even read the words of Jesus or Paul, and it's it's so sad um, to see their 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 misinterpretation and the avoidance of the words of Jesus in the Bible. Um, there's a there's a statement in the Bible. I've got it here somewhere. I'm not going to spend too much time um, looking for it, but it's um, the question that that Jesus was answered. Why was this man born blind? Is it the sin of his fathers, or is it his sin? The question is therefore this. If it was the sin of his fathers and mothers, in other words, um, the parents did something stupid while while the fetus was developing in the womb, ate poison or something uh, like that, then the man is born blind, born of this terrible sort of uh, infirmity. But it was his sin. In other words, something he did before he was born, the law of karma. And so you get statements like this in the Bible, which the Christians avoid. They don't know what they do, it; they step around it. They, they sort of forget that it's there. Um, it's the law of karma. It's the law of reincarnation. He could have only committed the sin before he was in his mother's womb, if he was born before. How else could he have committed the sin? A sin by nature, by definition, is something that you created that that was um, punishable by some action in other words being born blind um, in my book I've got the exact sort of quotation somewhere as I said I could find it for you but um, it'll just take a bit of um, time And I oh, here it is um, John nine one. Jesus passed by a man who was born blind for his birth and a disciple queried Master who did sin? This man or his parents that so he was born blind? If the man had sinned then the only possible way for him to have done so is to have previously lived and then committed the acts that karmically resulted in blindness in the next life. It also presupposes that some of the Jews were familiar with the law of cause and effect and the doctrine of reincarnation, rebirth in one form or the other. Certainly the way was opened to contact with an assimilation of Buddhist and Hindu doctrines after Alexander the Great's conquest of northern India. Also, the testimony in Plato's Republic, the works of Pythagoras, Herodotus, Heraclitus and others, tells us that the doctrine was in existence in the Middle East long before the Alexander- Alexander's time. If it was his parents that had sinned, acted in such a way during the pregnancy so as to cause deformity in the fetus, then this could have resulted in the physical defect of the newborn child. Jesus' answer here is interesting. Neither have this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him and this is the, the the Bible quotation, this indicates that the man was predestined to accomplish certain things, for instance, to meet the Christ. This phrase also indicates that the man's karma, as most, other, as most of all other beings, is directed by the guiding light of the spirit within, that is, God, and that by the means of blindness, he can be made to know God, or certainly of the nature of the manifestation of the works of God within him. These works can only mean the development of an enlightened consciousness, which the man possessed, as is aptly illustrated by the rest of the chapter in the man's answers to the Pharisees and to Jesus. We see, therefore, that in all probability the man's soul chose in that life for the man to be born blind, as most of the spiritually evolved to do, um, when they take a new body. And there's another question. Of course, all of you are born blind. Um, okay, you're born you know, with, with the eyes of a child and it's open to 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 a wondrous world, the sight here, um, but you are blind spiritually because you're ignorant of the inner realms. You're ignorant of the law of rebirth. You're ignorant of your former lives. You're ignorant of the cherubims and the seraphims and all the deities and, and godlings on the inner realms. You're ignorant of the divas. You're ignorant of all of that. Therefore, esoterically, you're blind. You only have the physical eyes and these physical senses. But... Um, you are born with eyes open when you begin to see these worlds and you begin to be blind to this material world with its desires and its covetousnesses and its jealousies and its possessivenesses. And the rest of the, the Bible, the rest of this particular verse, relates to these types of blindness. Spiritual blindness versus materialistic blindness. Okay, So the, all the, the teachings of reincarnation are quite clearly in the Bible. It's just that... Uh, the orthodox Christians have avoided (laughs) what's so clearly there. And if you read my book, this particular chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 3, you'll find um, it goes through a stack of biblical quotations relating to rebirth. Any other
1: questions? Uh, I was just wondering if it would be possible for people to be reborn on other planets and how. uh, Karma, or what would create the situation where people would be reborn in other places? Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, your question has got to do with other places. And um, you're probably having in your mind physical plane planets such as Mercury, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, and all these others of the physical conditions. Um, When we look at um, karma, we look at each of these planets as having an astral body, an astral heaven and an astral hell a mental body, mental heaven, and mental hell. And human beings are existence in these astral realms, on all the planets in the solar system, and throughout the universe. They're human units, enlightened beings from past solar systems of evolution, Um, beings from this solar system that have evolved long before humanity came into existence. There's been many streams of evolution where human beings have evolved and gone on to become gods, because that's what the eating of the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge is all about, if you read the book of Genesis. So what you have to do is expand in your vision to include inner realms, to, com- to include the nature of life after death. And then you'll see that all the planets have beings on it. Um, but civilizations such as this Earth has, um, that also exists. But then you have to look at different um, different aspects of, of the evolutionary process. It's about uh, when someone is, uh, um, what's happened to a person and why a person and what's happened to him uh, when he makes a decision to kill himself, like suicide. Uh-huh. I mean, why, how it comes like this, that a person can do this uh-huh. and what's happened to him. Okay, this is technically um, a question to do with the nature of life after death. Um, so uh, preempting a, a question to the next next um, next talk. But what happens when a person commits suicide is that that's all they do. Well, first of all, they've got a certain amount of karma. The karma is to meet their life's problems head on and to actually surmount them, actually to to pass them, right? Um, So if life's very difficult and it's terrible to live in In this particular situation they're in um, It's not for them to commit suicide It's not part of the plan of God Uh, There may be certain cases where it's preferable um, We won't go into that But it's not for them to commit suicide It's not part of the plan It's for them to actually solve the problems of life And solve the problems of life well By actually meeting head-on their karma So when they commit suicide When they take their own life what happens is um, it was not destined by the lords of karma necessary for them to leave their bodies at the time. Therefore there's no inner plane preparation for that soul to come. What happens therefore is that their physical body drops away and their prana, their vitality, is very strong. So they live, they have a very powerful vital body in an etheric form. And um, it's almost, it's so this epic double goes and it's just heavily vitalized. And that individual um, enters in a type of um, health state in a sense in that they have left their body, they've had no preconditioning, training for what happens in life after death, there's no individuals on the individual, on the inner realms looking for them because they've planned his death a little bit further on. And thus he is wandering. And he wanders in this, this um, etheric realm between the astral realm where heavens and hells exist, which I'll explain next week, and um, the earth. And they almost they have a very close to earth physical body, and they often try to get into other people's bodies. They go to mediums, they do anything they can often because they lost a um, terrible platform. They can't communicate. They can't talk to you because you will not listen to them. You're not listening to their thoughts. They're opening their mouths and speaking um, because most of them are not even aware that they're properly dead. Eventually, um, eventually anyway, they do, some being comes and takes them away and shows them where they must go. But the karma for that suicide is that they're quickly reborn, very quickly reborn. It's close to the time period um, where they committed the suicide. Generally, it's as soon as they die, um, they wander around and experience this type of um, suffering and um, then they they very quickly reincarnate the first possible opportunity um, because they still have karma of that material world that they left behind and the people that they have karma of is still there and um, they'll, they'll be much older later on and then they must suffer the karma eventually in other words they go through the same types of situations that caused them to commit suicide in the first place they must suffer the karma of having committed the suicide and the harm they've done to the others that they may should have helped or interrelate with and um, let's pay back the karma. They have much more on their slates then. They um, must cleanse the karma of killing themselves um, and of not doing the things they should have done in that life. The workload is still on their shoulders and they must accomplish that. And their life is woven in such a way that it actually assists them to... to um, to bear the extra workload of taking two lives in one. Very often they are very quickly educated on inner realms anyway. It's a bit complicated the whole subject because it very much depends on what they died, uh, whether they committed suicide because um, they're in a war situation or because they've got a terrible cancer or something like that or. Yeah, there's different reasons for it. Or whether it's just purely emotional reasons, or because their lover just left them, and they feel so depressed that they can't sort of uh, live with themselves. There's many different reasons for it. I'm just giving you a general over over uh, When it comes to karma, we always have to look at individual causes and effects, as well as the group of which they're part of.